Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. This week, we've got a Muggle Mail episode for everybody. We're going to be talking about things like, what would the 98-99 Hogwarts school year have looked like? Why did Harry decide to become an Auror? Plus, we have some more Credence theories. We've got a chicken soup email and an email from 2006 that we will finally respond to 15 years later. (laughs) And later this week on our Patreon, we'll be discussing a Secrets of Dumbledore spoiler we recently learned about. And we'll be making some trailer release date predictions because it has to be coming up soon. And those two items we'll be discussing in bonus MuggleCast at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. But first, some news. And we're going to start with a pretty shocking story, in my opinion. Harry Potter Wizards Unite, this was the Pokemon Go for Harry Potter fans, is closing at the end of January. You won't be able to access the game at all after that. The game initially launched in June 2019, so it's only about two and a half years old. They didn't say why they were closing, but presumably it's because the number of people playing has been waning over the past, I don't know, year. And it really never took off like Pokemon Go did, did it? I mean, Harry Potter fans were excited initially, and then we were all just kind of like, There's too much to do in this game. I made that yeah. exact same noise, by the way. <laughs> oh, God, I got to open this up no, again and make potions. I, you're right. I don't think it ever did take off the same way as Pokemon Go did. I, I think there's just something about Pokemon that draws people into wanting to catch them all. And I just don't think that that translates the same way oh. for Harry Potter Though I will say there were times that I did drive around to try and get to those battle areas so that I could actually feel like I was doing something more than just whatever it was that I was doing in the game. I I just, I never knew like what the goal was. Yeah. I think you just hit it right on the head with that, Micah. I very rapidly found myself wondering what the point of the game was. And just not feeling motivated to collect all the confoundables. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Like, is this Go for it. is this all reason, first of all, to close it for good? Like, how much does it really cost to keep the servers running for those people that inevitably do still play or, or did like the game? Right. Uh, and then if there was a, a point to Harry Potter Wizards Unite, or if there was not a point, is there then also a point? I mean, is there actually a point to Pokemon Go? Because I've yet to find the point in Pokemon Go either. The thing with Pokemon, though, is that there's, what, hundreds of Pokemon in that game at this point? Probably 800, 900, I would guess. So there's more to collect. Whereas with Wizards Unite, you're collecting these confoundables. You're collecting parts of, like, Harry and Snape and Dumbledore a million times. It's it's I think it's a lot more repetitive. And then there's the storyline with the Calamity... And like I mentioned, the the potions. All the I'm common- hearing now is Niantic dared to do something new or something different with like potion brewing, and y'all got really bored about it. And so, <laughs> the, you know, the lesson that Niantic is going to pull out of this is don't do anything new ever. Give people the same recycled experiences that they are clamoring for. And, you know, it's just a shame that this is going away for good. It is a bummer, especially because it only launched two and a half years ago. Right. right? And Eric, you asked why would they be closing it now? Maybe they just aren't making money on it anymore. 
Pokemon yeah. Go, like I said, still insanely popular. Not as popular as it was in 2016, but there's still a diehard audience there. If they're not making money on Wizards Unite anymore, then why should they be running it? Well, what I liked about, uh, you know, Wizards Unite was the whole augmented reality aspect. Same with Pokemon Go. Yeah, it was cool. You hold it up, you know, you're in your local park or whatever, and there's all of a sudden it's Filch. (laughs) Like, cool. Um, It just reminds me, you know, because I've seen several Harry Potter experiences that I really liked Go now, and that includes Pottermore at PlayStation Home which was like a VR or not, not mm-hmm. VR, but a 3d immersive experience where you could take your avatar to Diagon Alley and do wizard stuff. And that, that never really caught on either. And and not to mention original, you know, Potter more, we call it Potter no more. All of these things were actually creative, really interesting things in Harry Potter's space, but they ultimately mm-hmm. did not pass whatever corporate test they needed to pass to keep them going kind of indefinitely yeah the sound of cutching that was the test and it also sounds like people were having problems with it for the last year just looking at our discord um ray lynn is saying i still play but there have been so many glitches this past year um carrie saying it was so frustrating um i saw somebody else uh yeah carrie also saying every time i opened the game this last year it just froze or never opened so there were some user experience issues that weren't going well. Right. I've heard this too outside of our Discord. Eric, to your point though, I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that the entire Wizarding World franchise is reevaluating things and looking at what's working and what isn't working. Perhaps that means that there are new things on the horizon that that we can expect coming down the road because you look at what happened with Pottermore, you look at what happened with Wizarding World Gold. Now you have this happening with Wizards Unite. It seems like they're going through a little bit maybe of a rebranding, of a refresh here. And that may not necessarily be a bad thing. Yeah, I'm optimistic. Yeah. I wanted to actually bring up a related point. If I'm being optimistic about this development, maybe, maybe Niantic is working on a new Harry Potter game that's a lot simpler and actually focuses on the beasts because that's what we all wanted. Pokemon Go blew up and we as Harry Potter fans were all like, oh my gosh, how cool would how cool would it be if there was a Pokemon Go for Harry Potter fans? And the assumption was they would do it with all the beasts in the Wizarding World. And right. this clearly is not that. There are dragons and stuff, but there's also the the humans. Final point I'll make on this. People have spent real money in this game. I definitely did. To buy potions and whatever else you can buy, expand your bag and stuff like that. People invested real money. And now they're not going to have access to this game anymore. And this is a, an important reminder that no digital good is guaranteed for the long term. Music, movies, whatever, in-app purchases, it could all be taken away from you. Get a hard copy. Collect real-life unfoundables, people, or confoundables. <laughs> <laughs> Go actually kidnap Filch. <laughs> and, and you know what's really crappy? They're still selling things in the game right now. Yeah, okay, they shouldn't be doing yes, that. That's, yeah, that's bad. Slimy, slimy, slimy. Yeah. Okay, so a couple other news items I wanted to touch on quick. So Chris Columbus, the director of the first Harry Potter movie, has been doing a bunch of interviews since, we, since we're about to hit 20 years since the movie was released. And a couple of interesting tidbits have come out of these interviews. First of all, this one just came out of an interview with Polygon. He said that he thinks they got Harry's scar wrong and still wishes today he could go back and change the appearance of the scar. (laughs) 
He said, Harry's scar was so incredibly difficult to get right. I don't know if we ever really did, to be honest with you, but we struggled with that for months. When you're working with kids under 16 or something, you can't really use prosthetics or you or you couldn't back then. We couldn't really utilize a prosthetic scar, which is kind of what I saw, like a real scar. That's the one detail, an important detail that I wish I could go back and tweak. That surprised me. Did the scar ever bother anybody else? No. Not really. I kind I kind of liked that it wasn't as literal as a lightning bolt. It should be reminiscent of a bolt of lightning, but not quite as on the nose, literally, as the Goblet of Fire book cover, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Harry's facing the, there's basically like, that is a lightning bolt. Uh, I, I kind of like the way they did it in the movie, where it was a little off center and you kind of had to work at it. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I didn't either. I guess it's just because like once you do it, you're stuck with it mm. for the remaining seven movies. And maybe that's why it bothers him. He saw the later movies and he's like, oh, man, I could have done something about this. Maybe they should have focused on the color of Harry's eyes, more importantly, because <laughs> given the amount of times his eyes are referenced throughout the series, you would think that maybe they would want to make them the same as Lily's, but they didn't. So. <laughs> the scar I can live with. I agree. I, I didn't really pay that much attention to it. Like, was it eyeliner? Like what was it is very simple. So yeah. I guess maybe that's what he means. It literally looks like a crayon that, that just went across his forehead in a little zigzag. I will say I think it messed with the pacing in later films. <laughs> <laughs> you were so drawn to the scar, you couldn't look away. So there was another interview with Variety. And Chris Columbus said that he wants to make a Cursed Child movie with the original trio. And this has been making headlines because some people have taken this to mean that a Cursed Child movie is actually happening. He said, I would love to direct The Cursed Child. It's a great play, and the kids are actually the right age to play these roles. It's a small fantasy of mine. This is not happening. The kids are not coming back to do this movie. Maybe one or two would be interested, but there's no way that I'll bet my Wizards Unite shirt, I'll bet my signed J.K. Rowling book behind me. That Come on, they Andrew, are bet something you care about. <laughs> I'll bet... Um, uh, Your broomstick. The one you just my bought. vibrating broomstick. Yeah. I'll, I'll bet my microphone. There's no way that they're getting all three kids back for a Chris Chod movie. No. Well... All three of them have tried to distance themselves professionally because they want to take on other kinds of roles. And I don't blame them. There's also the fact that, and we've discussed on the show previously, that the Cursed Child stage play has set the precedent that Hermione will be portrayed by a Black woman in this story. And I'm like, how (laughs) tone deaf is Chris Columbus to be like, yeah, let's bring Emma Watson back to do this role that's an amazing point (laughs) that's an amazing point oh my gosh i didn't i hadn't even thought of that also it's not a great story chris columbus yeah that's the quote yeah it's a great play and the kid i'm like i'll stop you right there i will i will absolutely stop you right there it's a great opportunity you know it's entertaining live sure perhaps but I don't know if he's trying to woo somebody into letting him direct the adaptation. I don't get it either. Maybe this is a play to express his interest in a potential Harry Potter TV show. Yeah. I think I he's, he's doing all these interviews. He's yeah. just trying to create a little bit of buzz. That That's what yeah. I, I take away I from guess. his interview. Though I will say, Cursed Child is definitely been heavily promoted here in the New York City 
metro area. I see commercials on TV for it all the time. The new adaptation, the the shortened version. Uh, I haven't seen as much in the subways and around the city yet, but I assume that that will follow. But thought it worth mentioning that they are promoting it on TV here in New York. That is good to know. It actually, so we're recording on Thursday, November 11th. It actually comes back tomorrow, November 12th. I wonder if there's going to be reviews. I'm surprised there aren't already, or maybe just because there hasn't been previews yet, but we'll have to see what those reviews are like now that it's being compressed into a single show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to say one more thing to Chris Columbus. You are never, ever getting the trio back together. Red Taylor's version is out now. (laughs) It's for all the Swifties out there. Well, before we get to voice memos and emails, we have a word from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp, who make it possible to partake in therapy from wherever you are right now. Taking care of your mental health is one of the most important things you can do for yourself. And if you think there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, check out BetterHelp. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can work with via voice, video, or text chat. BetterHelp lets you easily and quickly get started with therapy. Within 48 hours, you can start speaking with a therapist, and the service is available for clients around the world. Once you get started, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your therapist. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Speaking as someone who's got a busy day, I really appreciate being able to reach out to my therapist whenever I want during the day instead of scheduling a session and having to travel somewhere. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. I want you to try BetterHelp, and we have a special offer for MuggleCast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash MuggleCast. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MuggleCast, that's Better H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Again, 10% off at betterhelp.com slash mugglecast b-e-t-t-e-r-h-e-l-p dot com slash mugglecast today i'm taking control of my mental health by listening to believe it or not i almost do taylor's version when it drops tonight i'm looking very forward to that (laughs) that's gonna be great the swifties are very excited all right so we've got some voicemails and some emails Lots of feedback, as always. We're so grateful for all the feedback we receive. It's so nice to get this after we release these episodes. And everybody writes in and calls in with such great stuff. We're going to start with a voice memo from Mark. Hey, guys. It's Mark from Sydney, Australia here. I just listened to episode 521 about Albus Dumbledore. I'm just a bit confused with the Blood Pact timeline. So if they made the Blood Pact before they got into that big fight where Ariana was killed... How could they have been fighting in that first place for that to happen? But if they made the blood pact after Ariana was already dead, why would they get back together to make the blood pact? It just doesn't make sense to me, and I'm a bit confused. So if you guys help me out, that would be great. All right, thanks for everything you guys do. Bye. That is a great observation. After Ariana was killed, why would Dumbledore be like, yeah, let's mix our blood? Make a blood pact. Maybe they were so surprised, but but why would they be surprised by like the fact that maybe Ariana's death was a consequence of the fact that the blood pact existed? Mm. Well, what would prevent them from making the blood pact before Ariana's death? That's where I'm a little bit confused. I, I think it's likely that 
they made the blood pact early on when they were all hung up on this idea of power, especially Dumbledore, right? We know Grindelwald doesn't ever really deviate from that. I think it would be highly unlikely the blood pact would have been made after Ariana's death because agree there would be no reason for Dumbledore to trust Grindelwald. But I think Mark's point is that if the blood pact was made before Ariana's death, then why would Dumbledore and Grindelwald be able to fight each other in Mm. the first place? The only thing I can think of is that we're going to learn more about the rules of the blood pact and what it actually means to say, I can't move against Grindelwald. It could be that it's not quite as literal as... I can never fight him. It could be something like, I can't kill him. We can fight each other, but I can't kill him because we're linked. And if I kill him, I might die. So I think it might be something like that. But neither can live while the other survives. (laughs) Ariana's death have been a consequence of the blood pact already being created. So you have all these spells flying around, but Maybe they're not really allowed to kind of hit the intended target and she becomes... Oh, maybe that's it. Yeah. Right. And also remember, Aberforth was there too. Maybe Aberforth was the one who was directly fighting Grindelwald. Or this is kind of making me think of like the Chamber of Secrets. If you don't look directly into the snake's eyes, you're okay. If you look through a mirror or through a puddle, Uh. you're fine. You know, maybe it's going to be something like that, right? You know, a spell bounced off a rock and then hit Grindelwald. Right. (laughs) Dumbledore was playing pool (laughs) to try and hit Grindelwald. shot, yeah. (laughs) Right, yeah. Uh, Well, and then there's also the possibility that, like, Dumbledore was, in fact, pulling his punches. And maybe that pissed Aberforth off even more. Like, when they were, when they did get into it and he could sense that his brother was really not, you know, he didn't have his heart in it but didn't quite understand the nuance of the blood pact. Well, Mark, yeah. just trust in the fact that Minerva McGonagall was there as well. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Why not? Okay. <laughs> Mike is a troll. He's been increasingly <laughs> trolly on this show. It's the Thursday night switch. I'm hopeful we're going to get a lot of answers in Sec- Secrets of Dumbledore. That's all we can hope for at this point, because yeah. there are a lot of questions. All right, next voicemail concerns the 20th anniversary of Sorcerer's Stone. Hello, MuggleCast. This is Eden calling to you from Norway. I just want to share my first encounter with Harry Potter, which was at the premiere of the first movie exactly 20 years ago. This was before I knew any English, and also I didn't know how to read, so my mum actually had to whisper the translations of the movie into my ear live at the cinema. Probably very annoying for everyone else in the room, but it got me hooked, so I went on to learn English through reading Harry Potter, and now I've ended up with a master's degree in English literature, so that's nice. (laughs) Anyway, I just wanted to share that little story with you guys. Love you and the podcast. Oh, and before I forget, can you please have a slow club hangout at not 2am my time? (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) Anyway, bye-bye. We gotta work on that. That is a very sweet story, first of all. And yeah, we are aware that it our Slug Club hangouts are 
in the evenings U.S. time, which is not convenient for people overseas. A few times a year, I think we'll do Slug Club hangouts on the weekends going forward. Hold us to that. I love that story. Congratulations on your English and on your master's degree. That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah. All right. Here's a voice memo from Jane about Mads Mikkelsen. Hey, guys. My name is Jane. I'm calling from Canada. Um, I just wanted to get your opinion on what you guys think about, you know, the whole new uh, Grindelwald actor. Um, I know I've never seen Mads Nicholson in anything. Um, I did like Johnny Depp, but I couldn't think of anybody else really to to fill the spot uh, for Grindelwald. So I was just wondering if, you know, if it wasn't Johnny Depp and it wasn't Mads Nicholson, who you'd like to see um, take over that role. Uh, anyways, big fan. Love listening to you guys every week. And uh, keep up the good work. Thanks so much. Bye. Colin Farrell. <laughs> Colin yeah. Farrell really would have been the perfect. Like revert back to his graves form, especially if we're doing anything more in America and just say he's wearing somebody else's skin. Awesome. Explained. It's a good point. I, I think it would have been well received too, because there's a familiarity with Colin Farrell having been in the first film. So it wouldn't be like, you were confusing audiences. Right. I mean, he's in the entirety of the first film until the very, very, very last possible minute. And everybody was asking for him to come back after the first movie came out, even before the step drama came up, I think. So that would have been great fan service. Maybe he just simply wasn't available. I'm just looking at his IMDb. IMDb. He had the Batman. Uh, he was in a TV miniseries recently. A bunch of roles. So he's had stuff going on. But that said, Mads Mikkelsen is amazing. And if you haven't seen him in anything, definitely watch. There's there's a ton of movies you could go to. Um, he's the Bond villain in Casino Royale, which I love mm-hmm. him in. He's on NBC's Hannibal uh, TV series. That's his most bone chilling, I am told. Next voice memo is from Natasha. Uh, so I wanted to preface this with I did not plan this out. I just finished listening to episode 524, catching up on my drive back from work. And I just had a thought that I thought about frequently. And the email that Micah brought up about the um, World War II in relation to the Harry Potter universe, I'd actually thought about that quite a lot, especially when I had found out the time period that Fantastic Beasts was going to take place in, as I am actually a student of history, and I'm actually working on my graduate degree in um, Holocaust studies. And I've just always wondered, like, if the Harry Potter world itself, I guess, well, the Wizarding World, if you guys think that it would take place separately from us, technically, because I don't think J.K. Rowling had ever really thought about major historical events correlating with Harry Potter at all. Um, So I was wondering what you guys think, if it's like a separate, like, dimension of sorts, or if you believe it's elsewhere. Also, I forgot to start with that my name's Natasha, (laughs) and I've been listening for about three years now. But I love you guys. Thank you for making my one-hour commute back and forth very enjoyable. Hope to hear from you soon. Happy to help. I don't think the Harry Potter story is set in an alternate dimension. That said... There really aren't references to what is going on in the real world in these same years. Mm. Probably on purpose. Well, I no? mean, we have to remember at the end of um, Crimes of Grindelwald, during his big speech, he was showing imagery of the, you know, coming Second World War. 
That's true. I'm thinking of like the core books. Yeah, I mean, even oh. in those, they talked about the Salem witch trials. You know, it, it wasn't a big discussion point, but it was a passing reference, I think, in their history of magic class or something like that. So I think that these stories do play, mm-hmm. take place in this world. And if I recall correctly, um, I think J.K. Rowling was pretty clear about the connection between Death Eaters and Nazism. She saw the connection. Micah, am I getting that right? I think so. And and to go back to the first Fantastic Beast film, we know that Jacob was in World War One. It's talked about that he served and was just coming back from the war. So there's certainly connections between what's going on in the wizarding world and what's going on in the muggle world. We see it in Half-Blood Prince at the very start with the other minister chapter. And I would just say, I think that it's not a coincidence that Grindelwald is defeated in 1945. So there's definitely connections that exist between what is happening in the wizarding world and what's happening in the muggle world. It's not overwhelming. And maybe that's going to change in this next Fantastic Beast film. We don't know. Because to your point, Laura, we do see that vision at the end of Crimes of Grindelwald, which has heavy imagery from World War II, including the dropping of the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons the core Harry Potter story is so compelling is because it does feel like the wizarding world could actually exist because it happens during a period that at at least we grew up in. And then, of course, the fact that Harry frequently goes into the muggle world also makes it feel very relatable. Yeah, I don't I don't know to what degree I want the Fantastic Beast films to like delve into the muggle side of World War Two. Yeah, I would hope not too much because I, I feel like as a writer, you can get bogged down in that kind of detail. And it will. I don't know that it'll ever come out like cleanly in a way that makes like a lot of sense. Like I think I would kind of just sidestep it almost right. if I were writing what the wizards were doing. Well, I did like the uh, international flavor of all or most of all of the voicemails that uh, we received. Yes. I was going to say that. That's super cool. Yeah, that's great. And if you, the listener, ever want to call us. You can use the voice memo app on your phone and record a message. Try to keep it about a minute long. You can send that to mugglecast at gmail.com. And then we also have the old school telephone number, which is 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. Okay, so now let's get to some emails. Yeah, first one comes from Annette the Hufflepuff uh, regarding the 1998-99 school year. Hi, Mugglecasters. What do you think the 1998-99 school year would have looked like? We know Hermione went back to Hogwarts after the battle and finished her education, which means she would have graduated with Ginny and Luna. Would Hermione, Ginny, and Luna have been really tight through their final year? What would it be like for students whose families sided with Voldemort? Would there be new traditions starting up at Hogwarts, like vigils or one-minute silences? Would Snape get a remembrance plaque in the entrance hall? Would there finally be grief counselors at Hogwarts? So many questions, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Again, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. (laughs) This could be a whole episode. I thought so, too. This could be a fun discussion sometime. Yes, there would be some sort of plaque or maybe a statue for Snape, I think statue yes maybe not right away 
maybe I can see that being something Harry maybe fights for or I don't know. I I, I go mm-hmm. back and forth because we know he names his kid after Snape, but I don't know that Harry would have like immediately started the ball rolling on like a commemorative statue. I think, you know, all headmasters past and present are honored by getting a portrait of themselves made. Um, which seems to happen instantaneously after their death. I don't know that a statue, like they're still rebuilding the corridors. I don't know that they're going to immediately need to commemorate Snape via a statue or something or a plaque. Right. Cause why would you, why would you celebrate just, Oh, that's true. A lot of people did talking about, yeah, but Snape was a professor. I mean, I guess they would honor all of the professors in some way with a a portrait, like you said, Mm -hmm. or a plaque or something like that. I don't think there would be grief counselors. I just, Don't get that vibe. Some from things Hogwarts. never change. Yeah, they're gonna like okay, back to school now. Castle's fixed, and um, the bodies are out of the Great Hall. Let's get back to learning. Wow, <laughs> the struggle and pain you go through at this school is part of the learning experience. This is how we toughen you up for the real world. <laughs> Do we think that Ginny and Luna would have gone back for their last year? I feel like they probably would get a. A pass if they wanted to, especially from Molly, if Ginny didn't want to go after everything that happened. I mean, think about the trauma she's been through in that school from her first year all the way through. Well, she made it that long. This is kind of what we said <laughs> about Hermione. She spent six years studying there. She almost- of course, she's going to want to get a uh, complete her degree. Yeah, right. And why wouldn't Ginny and Luna, Luna too? I mean, they could all go in together as a sort of another blood pact. Oh like we're going to finish this together. <laughs> Do you think um, in the eighth year, as it's sometimes known, do you think that uh, they stopped segregating students based on house? Do you think in the great hall? No. I mean, we see at the end of Deathly Hallows, people are, you know, intermingled in the great hall. They're not, obviously sitting by house at the tables so why not why why not realize this is actually kind of harmful to pit students against each other in this way so why don't we let them break bread together with whoever they want well like if you want to mingle in the great hall with other students okay that's fine are you but are you saying get rid of the houses entirely no i'm not saying get rid of the houses entirely because obviously there are, you know, dormitories and things like that where people have to sleep. Right. But I just wonder if the approach towards houses changed after the seventh year. Probably not because Harry's kids get sorted. Yeah, yeah oh, they do. Oh. <laughs> they do get sorted. But Maybe they took a little bit of a break and they said, you know what? <laughs> It's not as fun. We need the sorting hat back. <laughs> yeah, we want these kids to be at each other's throats again. <laughs> this is hurting uh, the, the Hogwarts shop. Merchandise sales are slipping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my my high school had a gift shop. Really? Did y'all's? Yeah. No. But, I mean, like a school store, but you would buy like erasers and stuff. That was a little different. Well, and, like, and like Shawnee t-shirts and sweaters. Wow. Yeah. My school did <laughs> not have a school store. <laughs> Definitely not. My college did. Right, huh. right. Yeah, my high school did. Mm-hmm. High wow, school did. it's fancy. What do you guys think about the question on the families who sided with Voldemort? What would those students have gone through returning the following year? I don't. I would think that maybe those students didn't come back the following year. Maybe. 
I can also picture McGonagall giving a speech at the start of the term being like, these students are here. They're not who um, their parents are. I don't know if give them a chance is the right word, but yeah, we are one Hogwarts. <laughs> Until you're sorted. It's hard to see what. <laughs> then we are four. We are Hogwarts. one for five more minutes. And then the sorting ad's taken the stage. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to see what changes would be going on the very next year when Hermione came and then what changes would be gradual. Um mm. Because I really doubt, like, their primary focus was probably not on changing all the old patterns, and it would have just been on, like, in the very short term, rebuilding. So, yeah. I, I think, Annette, this is one we can have fun with on a future episode. There's a lot of things we can do with this discussion. Yeah, I do love this. I'm adding it to the editorial sketch now. Nice. All right. Our next email comes from Callum, and Callum writes in a, about Credence's Obscurus. Hi, all. My name is Callum. I'm 32, Scottish, but I live in Norway. For my money, the only sound Fantastic Beasts 3 through 5 explanation is that Credence is carrying Ariana's Obscurus. The setup was there in the first movie with Newt being able to separate one. I suspect Dumbledore and Grindelwald were also able to separate Ariana's Obscurus, but were unable to contain it in the way Newt has. The Fantastic Beasts overall story, therefore, runs to parallel and complementary arcs. Newt will have to separate and detain the Obscurus from Credence at Dumbledore's request, perhaps finally allowing closure on the fate of Ariana. While Dumbledore will have to defeat Grindelwald for further closure on his relationship and for what happened to his sister. Doesn't this cover all the plot holes and eventualities? I like this. I mm-hmm. love it. I want some more of it. <laughs> I don't know about all the plot holes. There's quite a bit. Uh, but uh, I think it does a good job of of touching on. Yeah, it seems to make the sense. big ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a logic to it. And I think mm-hmm. it follows really well with the story and it makes sense. Uh, I will also add that Callum wrote us a very nice intro paragraph um, that is probably too self-serving for us to read on this podcast, but I will send it around uh, to the rest of the hosts. But uh, I really do like this theory, especially given that it's highly likely that Ariana's Obscurus is somehow tied to what is going on with Credence. Yeah, I will not be surprised if this is almost exactly what happens. <laughs> we should probably hold on to this email so that when we get through the full franchise, we can reflect on it. And uh, 15 years from now. Yeah, see how right Calum was. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say I do still very strongly believe in the fact that Credence will be used to somehow absorb Grindelwald's powers. Mm. I, I just think defeated Grindelwald as opposed to killing him implies that his magical ability is somehow removed from him. I love it. And who better to do that than Dumbledore? This is from Carly, also on the Credence, uh, well, Prophecy. Hey guys, love the show and have been a listener from the beginning. Always fabulous content. Oh, thanks, Carly. Listening to the most recent episode about Credence, I was struck by a thought concerning the prophecy from Tycho Dodonis. First, let me preface this by saying that I absolutely hate the idea of Credence being Aurelius Dumbledore. 
And I agree with you all that it would be pretty frustrating to have been given all this extraneous info about the Lestranges for nothing. However, what if, quote, return great Avenger with wings from the water, end quote, actually refers to a phoenix rescuing baby Aurelius from drowning? The, quote, magic bubbles could have summoned it if he were a Dumbledore in need. It makes sense that the information about the phoenix is stressed in this case, especially since Credence ends up with a special phoenix friend of his own. Anyway, just a thought I had around the end of mile three today. Thank you all for your great work. <laughs> Fargo has this joy of runner. Love that. What if Credence's Phoenix is Fox that D- that Dumbledore later gets him? I do really like this idea of the Phoenix being the one that rises from the water. Mm. Well, continuing on the Credence theories uh, train here, we have um, some feedback from Becky. Um, Becky says, have you guys heard these theories that go hand in hand? The first theory takes into consideration the fact that Grindelwald does not know the babies were swapped. It suggests that since Kendra and Ariana were the only ones present when Kendra supposedly died, and there may not have been a body to confirm her death given the damage an Obscurus can inflict, Kendra may have still been alive. She could have started by going by a new name, um, like Clarice Tremblay, and could have been placed under the Imperious Curse by agreement of Corvus IV, who may not have known of her blood status, and the seer Grindelwald, who knew of their child's potential. The child, known as Corvus or Aurelius, would therefore be the baby who drowned or nearly drowned, and he would also be the great Avenger with wings from the water who comes back as the phoenix at the end of the movie, similar to how Harry thought he saw Dumbledore's body transform into a phoenix in book six. Personally, I think Clarice Tremblay could have been the aunt of Albus and Aurelius, possibly from Percival's side. I'm not gonna, this is a lot, y'all. I know, thank you. (laughs) Uh, The second theory is that since Credence is the only one seen talking back and forth with Nagini, that he is a parcel mouth. She does speak to Irma, but Irma does not respond. This would therefore make Credence a gaunt. Given his obsession with heirlooms, Marvolo could have sent his son to America to have him attend Ilvermorny so he could be close to what was left of Salazar Slytherin's wand, the Snakewood tree. I would love to know you guys' thoughts on these theories. Well, our brains turn to jello <laughs> while reading that first one, but I like this idea that Nagini is a parcel mouth. Or sorry, uh Credence yeah. is a parcel mouth. I do see where you're going with the first theory. I wonder though if it might be too complicated for a screenplay. Not after the last one. That won't stop, you know, you know who for doing it. Yeah, remember, Steve Clovis is involved now, and he took one look at Movie 3 script, and he deleted it and started a new Word document. I mean, basically, this is what happened, according to the film's credits mm-hmm. so far. Yeah. I was thinking along the same lines as you, Laura, that the first theory would be good if this was a book. Yep. Not thinking that it's going to translate very well on screen, especially after all of the issues that the second film had with Lita and Corvus and that whole strange backstory, which turned out, at least for right now, to not be worth anything 
Yeah. And then you had Yusuf Kama, you had Aurelius Dumbledore. I, I think it's a good theory, but it would probably be a little too confusing to moviegoers, especially given that Kendra has not been introduced at all to the Fantastic Beast moviegoer at this point. Mm. Nor yeah. Aberforth. Right. Right. And see, when I'm reading over this again, it feels like an amazing plot for a book, to Micah's point. Like, I can see all of these things playing out over the course of a nice, like, thick 400-page book. I just don't know how they accomplish this in these movies that are already having plenty of problems connecting all of the threads. Yeah. And we're going back to basics for the remaining three movies. Back to basics. I like the idea of trying to find a grand unified theory that explains everything we've seen on screen. Yeah. Though. I'm pessimistic as to whether it could be possible, um, but ultimately always grateful to read somebody else's hard work building it. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, oh, for sure. That's what we live for here in the fandom. And I would just yeah. add that we've mentioned this when we've been talking about our Fantastic Beast character discussions that parts of these theories can be true. It doesn't just have to be that one person mm-hmm. got it 100% right. It could be that little bits and pieces from a number of different theories come together and that's what ends up happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Mike is covering for when he's uh, reviewing his theories after seeing Secrets of Dumbledore. Look, they missed <laughs> on my suggestion for the title of the movie, and I wrote them a whole new movie description that they should really take into consideration for when the teaser really good. is released. Okay, this next email is from Shetley. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. It's on the Potter books from a new character's perspective. I am a new listener, having just found your podcast. Well, welcome! Kind of sad I didn't find it 10 years ago, but on the bright side, I get to binge hours of great content now. You may have already discussed this in an episode I haven't gotten to yet, but what are your thoughts on Rowling possibly writing any of the books from Harry Potter from a different point of view? Ron? Hermione? Or even from another house perspective? Maybe even Luna? Thanks so much. Fun idea. I think we spoke about this maybe in a bonus MuggleCast because earlier this year, was it? Or last year? Sorry for bringing this up, but Stephanie Meyer, the author of Twilight, released Twilight from Edward's perspective called Midnight Sun, and it was a huge hit, and fans were clamoring for it forever. It was actually the beginning of this year, episode 498, Harry Potter's Midnight Sun, the stories we want written. And we talked about Harry's first year being written through a host of other characters' perspectives. Right. Perfect. So there is your episode to go binge next Check four nine eight that said i don't know if rolling herself would write it um but i think there's definitely a lot of value into thinking well gee what you know really what did draco think of his first year and did he work hard to secure slytherin that house victory that was taken away from them personally by dumbledore at the very last second um, yeah i guess like the big question I, I had a question for those that have read Twilight, because I'm just thinking Harry is such the focal point of the series. It would be hard to read it from Draco's perspective when literally everything important is happening to Harry. Mm. How did it work when you were reading it from 
the different perspective that Stephanie Meyer wrote. Was it interesting? Was it entertaining? I, that's what I would worry about. I haven't read Midnight Sun yet. I do want to. But Twilight, of course, is a love story. And in the first book, spoilers, Edward is a vampire. And uh, it's a secret for a good portion mm. of the first book, if I'm remembering mm. correctly. So yeah. the angle for Midnight Sun is he's having having feelings towards Bella and he's a vampire, but trying to hide it. Is that roughly? Yeah. And he also has the urge to kill her oh, that's and nice. drink her blood because her blood smells so amazing mm. to him compared to everyone else. So you're seeing that from his perspective, too. Which, like, it was already creepy in the original Twilight. And to me, Midnight Sun really just doubled down on the creep factor. Mm. Um, But it was still interesting to see that perspective. Now, a perspective that I would love to see is Half-Blood Prince from Draco's point Mm. of view. Because we know that he was actively working on trying to help Death Eaters break into Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. And it would have been fascinating to see something like that from his point of view. That was something I really liked about the Half-Blood Prince movie was that yeah. they did some exposition yep. on the work Draco was doing. And it was really fascinating to see. So I think there is potential here. Whether she's going to do mm-hmm. it. That's I don't get the impression she's that interested. Such a great point, though, because I think you would have to take it on a by book basis. I don't think you can do the entire series from another character's perspective. No, I was going to say that, too. You need to just focus on a single book. You couldn't do the whole series. Ginny in Chamber of Secrets, like Laura just said, Draco in Half-Blood Prince. Snape in movie seven, book seven or Dumbledore from one of these Mm -hmm. books. There's there's lots of options, just not for a whole series. And I mean, Dumbledore in book seven, he's just chilling yeah, <laughs> on platform yeah. nine and three quarters being like, he'll get here eventually. 30 plus blank chapters. <laughs> and one more point, one more Twilight comparison. Um, there was like this novella. Uh, I'm forgetting the short second life of Brie Tanner. That was kind of like a yeah. spinoff. She wouldn't have to do a whole book following an entire year at Hogwarts. It could just be a short story from another character's perspective. That's, you know, 200 pages. Yeah. All right. Well, we have more emails to get to. But first, we have a word from our second sponsor this week, Warby Parker. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores. You may have seen their glasses or gone into their stores and you've probably really been impressed, but have you actually tried them on for yourself? Now you can because Warby Parker has a very cool feature called the Home Try-On Kit. This program is great. You get to pick out five pairs of glasses from their site and they'll send you all five of them for you to try on in the comfort of your own home. When they arrive, you stand in the mirror, you check yourself out as you try on each one, and you decide which to keep. Then you send the remaining four pairs back for free, or you can send all five back for free. It's totally up to you. I did this the last time they sponsored us, and I loved the experience. It's a very easy and helpful process because when we look at products online, we never know if we'll like them the same as we will in person. Warby Parker's Home Try-On Kit solves that problem. The quiz helped me find the types of glasses that I liked, so I picked out five I wanted to try, and then I ended up keeping a pair. I got the Black Barclays, and I love them. Don't let your FSA or HSA dollars go to waste. Put them to good use on Warby Parker prescription glasses, prescription sunglasses, contact lenses, and eye exams. 
Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores, offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, eye exams, and contact lenses. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Try Warby Parker's free home try-on program. Order five pairs of glasses to try at home for free for five days. There is no obligation to buy. Ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. Try five pairs of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com slash mugglecast. Again, that's warbyparker.com slash mugglecast. All right. Our next email comes from George Weasley's surviving ear. Oh. Always great to to hear from uh, George Weasley's surviving ear. Talking about Percival as middle name for Dumbledore. You say, hey, everyone, I have rediscovered MuggleCast after a 10-year hiatus. I used to listen to you guys back in high school, and I am so glad you're still running the show. Now, I wonder, when he listened back in high school, did he have both ears and now just one? (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, though, we hear from listeners like this from time to time that they disappear for a while, and then they they do a search for MuggleCast, and they see we're still here, Mm -hmm. and they get all excited. I love that. For sure. Congratulations on running such a fun Harry Potter show. I love it. I'm going backwards and listening to the more recent episodes, and I'm bound and determined to catch up on what I've missed. In reference to the discussion on episode 530, celebrating and criticizing Gryffindor House about Dumbledore... Micah was correct that the name Percival was an Arthurian knight. What's more is that Percival is the one who is fabled to have found the Holy Grail. This makes me wonder if the middle naming of Dumbledore is a foreshadow or reference to Dumbledore's pursuit of the Hallows and or the shift to the pursuit of Horcruxes. Thanks for getting my noodle going around the Harry Potter world again. It's a nice change from just re-listening to the books without having anyone to discuss it with. What do you think, Micah? Are you happy with this? Oh, yeah. This I feel like this was definitely intentional. Mm-hmm. The only thing is, I'm not sure, given how it's set up timing-wise, that it can be foreshadowing. I think a reference is probably, or some sort of allusion to Dumbledore's pursuit of the Hallows, especially as we start to learn about this in, in the last Harry Potter book. But there's certainly connections to be made between the pursuit of the Holy Grail and the pursuit of the Hallows. Absolutely. Making one Mm -hmm. presumably invincible. Yeah. So that's a good call out from George Weasley's surviving ear. (laughs) This next email comes from Josh about Slytherin leaving the Battle of Hogwarts. Hey all, big fan of Harry Potter, especially since I'm close to his age being 35 and might have brown (laughs) hair and glasses. (laughs) And an even bigger fan of you guys. Aw. Aw. I've been a long time listener of three months and didn't really enjoy all your episodes. As many fans have stated, you guys have brought a little joy and light into tough times. I had to take a two-month medical leave from work due to stress and anxiety, and thankfully I found you guys soon into my medical leave. You are now my only choice for what I listen to in the gym. Nice. Anywho... I had a thought regarding why these Slytherins fled the Battle of Hogwarts that I don't think was mentioned in any of your episodes. You guys have discussed the problems with labeling teens as evil 
especially when they haven't even gotten a chance to have any real experiences at Hogwarts. However, I think Slytherin gained that reputation primarily due to Voldemort's generation and those that followed while Voldemort was in power. So mixing the idea of Slytherin being the evil house for quite a while, and a few examples of Hogwarts students' parents being actual Death Eaters from the books and movies, I present this theory. As in real life, things like racism and bigotry are often passed down, and it isn't always easy for children to go against their parents. I think a good amount of Slytherins are good kids that come from families with antiquated views, and they fled to literally avoid having to fight members of their own families and to avoid awkward conversations at the dinner table, for sure. That's my (laughs) take. What do you guys think? Uh, Much love from Chicago. Josh. Josh, I think you're spot on. I think this is it's such a great take. And I I don't think that it's something that we entertained when we were having this conversation. So I'm really thankful for the perspective. Also, my brother's name is Josh. So and Eric lives in Chicago. (laughs) Look at all these connections. (laughs) Look at all these connections. Uh, Yeah. I mean, if my mom and dad were wearing masks and at the Battle of Hogwarts, I probably wouldn't fight. I'd be pretty scared, too. Or I would just go, Mom, Dad, stop embarrassing me. Uh, get out of here. Uh. It's, it's a tough position. Yes. And respect for listening to the podcast while at the gym. I need music to pump me up. Mm-hmm. I can never listen to podcasts. So I'm glad we pump you up in some way. Now drop and give me 20. It's definitely not my voice because we know my voice puts people to sleep so yeah andrew have you ever tried spoken word podcasts at like 140 bpm oh that's what i gotta do (laughs) and just put it on a track like a upbeat track underneath it and you'll be oh oh we should do this actually (laughs) let's and not maybe not even speed it up just put like a great beat underneath the podcast and release it it's it's time to re-release the muggle guest mix you mean like snap judgment snap judgment yeah that's their it's an npr podcast that's their whole deal it's stories to a beat oh i didn't know of that cool it's a great show we could do that for our movie commentary go a lot quicker than two and a half hours (laughs) (laughs) all right our next email comes from matthew and it's uh, related to Harry's questionable decision-making. Matthew says, Hi, all. My apologies if you've already covered this. I've only been a listener for two years. (laughs) We have been around for 16 years, so that's valid. Um, I have a theory I was hoping you'd give me an opinion on. Two things about Harry have always bothered me. First, he threw the resurrection stone away, something that could comfort countless people at the end of their lives. Second, he became an auror, fighting people who wanted to kill him for the rest of his life. I always thought the second one was a course correction. Around book three, it seemed clear he would want to become the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, ending the curse and spending his life at the only place he called home. When he started Dumbledore's army, it seemed obvious he was destined to be teaching first years how to ride broomsticks. And then he became an Auror, going out and nearly getting killed over and over, incurring the wrath of some of the most dangerous people ever. Last week, listening to your podcast, something clicked. He's traumatized. He was constantly in danger from dark wizards who were trying to kill him. He never had a moment's safety and watched everyone he loved die. 
He's choosing to keep himself in constant danger because he's afraid of what would happen if it went away. He threw away the resurrection stone because it had no value to him in this fight. It might even weaken him to have dead loved ones tell him it's okay for him to stop fighting all the time. Anyway, I think the poor guy could use some therapy. Thanks for reading this. Love your work, Matthew. This week's podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. <laughs> this is a this is a really cool theory mm-hmm. and thought process. I've always kind of seen it as like Harry, he almost kind of peaked during his years at Hogwarts, right? And mm. where do you go from there? You want to continue fighting evil in the wizarding world if you're Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's definitely traumatized. Mm-hmm. And I think that could lead him to do the only thing that he's ever known how to do, which is be in danger. (laughs) He's constantly been in danger since childhood, even when he was living at the Dursleys. I mean, they were abusive towards him. His cousin was mentally and physically abusive towards him. So all he's ever known is being in danger's path, right? right? So I think... He's just continuing on that theme. Also, you know, I don't think we spend enough time thinking of Harry as a soldier, but that's what he was raised to be. That's what Dumbledore made him um, a soldier. And it's difficult for soldiers to come home from Mm -hmm. war and to not be in that mode. And I think Harry would have struggled with coming home, really. It reminds me, though, too, of the conversation with Professor McGonagall, where she tells Umbridge that she'll ensure that Harry becomes an Auror if it's the last thing that she does. And (laughs) I think Harry was always set up that way to become an Auror. It's something that he really wants to be. But I think it's probably lost on him growing up that he's most likely the best Auror alive in that he's able to bring down Voldemort. And right. We've talked about this on the show before. Where do you go from that? <laughs> yeah. Do you really want to kind of continue down that road of being a, a dark wizard catcher? And wouldn't you rather just be at Hogwarts and teaching kind of the next several generations of kids defense against the dark arts? Carrie in the discord right now is also bringing up a good point. He also just wants to continue protecting his loved ones. Yeah. yeah. He just wants to look out for others still. It's a constant as he struggle. did. I yeah. just don't see him as a ministry worker. All right. This next email is a short one. This is from Reich on Hermione. About Hermione. I think it's pretty badass that she was muggle-born and became minister of gosh darn magic. Yep. <laughs> that is pretty cool when you think about it. It is. And there was some adult language in this email. Oh, so. Yeah, I wasn't comfortable bringing that up. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But, you there know. There were four more paragraphs that were just curse words. It was crazy. <laughs> All right. The uh, the next email comes from Anne, and this is about Grindelwald. She says, Hey, MuggleCast. First, I would like to say thank you for your great podcast, which I have enjoyed listening to for several years now. I'm Danish and started reading Harry Potter when I was 10. I'm from the HP generation and remember waiting for the books at midnight in my hometown's local bookstore. Big events were hosted by the town's mayor, actually dressed up as Dumbledore and opened up the town's <laughs> medieval castle oh, for cool mare. a treasure hunt for the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, yeah. Magical time. That is so cool. What a cool mayor. Is his name Nicholas? 
<laughs> anyway, uh, I got deeply interested in the part of the story regarding Dumbledore's past after reading the last book and realizing how much influence the secrets of Dumbledore have had to the entire destiny of poor Harry. Therefore, I'm very excited about the Fantastic Beast movies and hope to have much more of the exciting background story about the relationship between Grindelwald and Dumbledore revealed in the next movie. I've heard your various discussions and analysis on Dumbledore. Very exciting stuff. Now, I'm interested in unfolding more about Grindelwald. So here come the questions. Which emotional motivations does Grindelwald have for doing what he does? And what is his sexuality really? Does he even have one? Did he actually or even still love Dumbledore? We all now know some of Grindelwald's political and ethical motivations and even some of his more psychological characteristics. He's ambitious and power-driven. A fast conclusion could be that he is emotionally flat or a sociopath, thus having no real loving or even sexual motivations that he's attracted more to power than to people. However, I'm wondering if he is more than that. Isn't the interesting thing about Grindelwald that he's different in terms of being a villain from Voldemort who never knew love? To me, there are several indicators in both Book 7 and the Fantastic Beast movies that he knows about attraction, passion, and maybe even love. I'd be very happy to hear your take on the analysis of Grindelwald. She would want a whole episode, but maybe we will save that uh, for a later time. Yeah, so what do you guys think about this? I don't know that we've ever really kind of deeply psychoanalyzed Grindelwald and what his motivations are. Um, you know, we've talked about how he's power hungry, certainly. Uh, Anti-muggle. Anti-muggle, controlling. But what about more on the emotional side of things? Do we think that he's truly attracted to Dumbledore? Is there maybe something there initially that draws him in? Or does he just see opportunity? I think attracted on a deep friend level, but not sexually. Haven't we been told that it was an unrequited love that Dumbledore had for Grindelwald? Mm. Yeah, I, I think this this is interesting. The, uh, the suggestion that Grindelwald could be a sociopath. And I say that because I have heard it said before um, that sociopaths are shiny meaning that they very easily attract people to them, which seems like it fits for Grindelwald because mm -hmm. we know he's extremely persuasive. Dumbledore, who is, you know, one of the greatest minds of the wizarding world in general, not even just his generation, he was drawn to Grindelwald and he was convinced to make some morally questionable decisions as a result of what Grindelwald made him feel. So I think, you know, that makes him different from Voldemort in that he's more subtle, dare I say, than Voldemort. You know, Voldemort's he's about as subtle as a freight train, <laughs> whereas Grindelwald does a really good job of convincing people we see at the end of the second Fantastic Beast film. Hey, look at all these terrible things the muggles are about to do. I just want to stop it. I just want to save people. Yeah. Join me. But you Voldemort know? had sense. his careful 
you know, Voldemort had his careful plotting days when he was talking, you know, Hepzibah Smith out of getting rid of her heirlooms. Like, yeah, he was very smart and very calculating and very, like, I agree with the part of this email that's talking about Grindelwald and Voldemort needing to be different characters or that the the idea that they should be different somehow fundamentally. Um, But I think we need more information. I I need to see more of Grindelwald to really be able to say that he is ultimately different from Voldemort in many ways. There's there's a lot of similarity. I mean, that would be a really interesting discussion to have is, is comparing the two as as the villains of these two different series. And there there are a lot of similarities between the two of them. But I think Grindelwald is definitely in the manipulation category more so than Voldemort. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with what you're saying, Eric, about his ability to manipulate Hepzibah Smith, but I think clearly he was able to hoodwink Dumbledore to a certain extent. And I think he played off of Dumbledore's actual emotional and physical attraction towards him. Yeah. But I but I I guess you could argue Tom Riddle did the same to Hepzibah Smith, right? I mean, she was certainly- Yeah. That's the distinction I would make, though, is that was Tom Riddle. By the time he becomes Voldemort, we're not seeing quite as much of that persuasion because he's reached a certain level of power and he's influence. He's also fugly. And <laughs> I mean, that's, that's true, he's too. He's lost some of his charm. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he doesn't have to blend in anymore because he's achieved a certain notoriety Mm. whereas Grindelwald when we're seeing him he's not quite there yet so it'll be interesting to see when he's sort of like at his peak how similar how different the characters are do you think that Dumbledore learned how to be a manipulator from Grindelwald I think it's, hmm. I think we're meant to draw that assumption to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that will be highlighted in this series. I also would say to Anne, don't be surprised if they end up being more similar in the film series than you're expecting. Cause this is kind of an issue that happens with franchises. The same story beats get repeated over and over again. And a, very good um, recent example is the most recent Star Wars trilogy was basically the original Mm -hmm. Star Wars trilogy all over again. You know, and I don't know if you want to blame anybody or just accept that that's how it is sometimes, but I think creators naturally kind of fall into that cycle because they know that's what's safe and what, what works. But I like the idea of the capacity for Grindelwald to be a more terrifying villain than Voldemort. Yeah. That would be a neat a neat trick but it's, it may be like again comparing the two maybe the reason Voldemort's manipulation never ever ever worked on Dumbledore is not because Voldemort sucks at it but just because Dumbledore had seen it with Grindelwald so he knew what to expect mm-hmm. well all right um we'll be back to the show in a minute with some chicken soup for the muggle cast soul but first a quick word from our final sponsor of the week third love 
The holidays can be hectic and stressful if you're out shopping, putting up decorations, or traveling. And who wants to be uncomfortable during all of that? With Third Love, comfort is always a given. If you're wanting to give the gift of comfort this holiday season, why not an ultra soft loungewear set for your bestie? Or even better yet, what about treating yourself to some new ultra comfy essentials? It's been a long year and you deserve it. I've been wearing Third Love's Flex Seamless Sports Bras lately, and I love these things. They're so soft, supportive, and stretchy, and perfect for continuing to work from home. Third Love obsesses over each stitch, so you never have to think about how something feels, looks, or wears. And they've got your back while you're out and about, or just hanging out at home. With the softest sleepwear, luxe washable silk, and bras that you won't want to take off when you get home. Feeling is believing. Upgrade to everyday pieces that love your body as much as you do. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash mugglecast. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash mugglecast. It's time now for a chicken soup. The chicken soup email that we read on each Muggle Mail episode is typically an email that is just heartwarming. Hey, MuggleCast, I am a Slytherin Harry Potter fan from Bangalore, Karnataka in India. I started listening to MuggleCast at the start of 2021. I love Harry Potter and saying that you helped me through the endless lockdowns, my sister's rare tantrums, and the 12-hour long journey to Goa is an understatement. I love your podcast, and I'm so glad that there are people out there in the world who love Harry Potter as much as I do. My younger sister is fast getting immersed in the Wizarding World and is hungrily devouring any Harry Potter-related facts or information she comes across. In a few years, I'm sure she'll be an avid listener of the podcast. Thank you for doing this. I admire your dedication and hard work. The message of unity and acceptance that you put out there needs to be shown by everyone. The world needs more of your good vibes. This is from Mahir in India. I love this. Good news for you. You went on a 12-hour long journey. We have a 12-hour long live episode of MuggleCast. Oh my gosh. It's a it's mess. It's a throwback. It is a hot mess. <laughs> but it's there if you want it. Mm-hmm. So go back and find that. It is. Uh, I know I said this earlier on in the episode, but it is really cool hearing from listeners all across the world, not just here in the US. Although I love the US listeners too. I'm just saying it, it is very cool to hear from folks in India and in all parts of the world. Absolutely. So as we normally do on our Muggle Mail episodes, we we dug really deep uh into the mailbag, you know, to the part that has like really outdated yellow envelopes. They're all kind of crinkled up. Maybe there's some weird like marks on them <laughs> and other things. yeah mm-hmm. you don't want to go too deep into the bag but we got this email from hannah from sweden this was way back on december 27th 2006 and hannah has a theory she was 18 at the time of this email about harry's glasses and she said this should probably be considered a crackpot theory because it really sounds kind of crazy Me and my friend Sophia were talking on MSN Messenger all night. (laughs) Many people listening to the show right now have absolutely no idea what MSN Messenger is. (laughs) What's up, Gen Z? (laughs) And we started talking about James, and we wondered if he and Harry had the same kind of glasses. 
Then we came up with the idea that Harry's glasses really are James's old glasses and that Voldemort made them into a horcrux that night in Godric's Hollow. Really, I do realize how crazy it sounds, but it kind of made sense at 4 a.m. Anyways, love the show. You're the best. Not a bad Hannah, theory. you were only off by a couple centimeters. It was Harry, not yeah, his glasses. I was going to snap. Nice work. <laughs> Although I will say, I do remember back in the day there being a theory that Harry was wearing James's glasses okay. in the books, that those were originally his glasses. So um, it was definitely a thing, definitely a thing people talked about. And certainly being up on Instant Messenger at 4 a.m. was a thing in 2006, too. We all did Absolutely. it. I was never an MSN Messenger person. I was AOL Instant Messenger. Yeah, we were we were all AIM kids, but it's the same concept. Yeah, yeah. I'm just picturing Voldemort like hitting Harry's glasses and then later he's like, no, I got the glasses. I didn't get the boy. My boy. <laughs> Oops, I missed. Oops, I missed. <laughs> the glasses can speak parcel tongue. Can you imagine if the prophecy were about Harry's glasses? <laughs> yeah. It's a crack, a scar-shaped crack on his glasses. Why is this here? <laughs> Harry Potter and the Deathly Bifocals. <laughs> By the way, Micah made me uh, find this email this week. This is hard to prep for because we've got a lot of emails emails in the inbox and you got to find a good one. And I thought, oh, this is nostalgic with an, a reference to MSN Messenger. Well, not so. only that, I mean, it, it's not a bad theory pre-Deathly Hallows. No, not at all. And it speaks to things we never quite guessed about Voldemort's intentions when going to Godric's Hollow. Right. Yeah. Remember, this was eight months before the final book came out. Well, that was another fun edition of Muggle Mail. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can email us by writing to mugglecast.gmail.com. You can also send a voice memo to that address, like I mentioned earlier. If you are recording a voice memo, just record a message using the voice memo app on your phone. You can also use the contact form on mugglecast.com, or you can leave a voicemail on our phone. The number is 19203-MUGGLE. That's 19203684453. Speaking of discussions, this week on Bonus MuggleCast, which is available on our Patreon, we'll be discussing a Secrets of Dumbledore spoiler, and we're also going to be making predictions for when exactly the trailer will be released. It's got to be coming soon. I, I sense a disturbance in the force. Mm. And you know what? It's coming out in April. That's really close. That's six months now. We're six months it's, away. It's ridiculous. We don't at least have a teaser. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some things change on MuggleCast, but one thing that never changes is us complaining that a trailer for a forthcoming Wizarding World movie is not out yet. <laughs> That's something we've been doing since 2005. <laughs> so anyway, I wanted to nail down some predictions and then we can revisit those predictions in terms of uh, when the trailer is actually going to come out. So like I said, that'll be available in bonus MuggleCast. That'll be available at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. By pledging, you'll also receive instant access to years of bonus MuggleCast installments, Q&As with the hosts, access to our live streams, and so much more. We're planning some stuff for 2022, by the way, so hopefully we'll have some announcements to make in the next couple months. And your support helps us helps us keep the show running, so thank you so much. This, this show takes a lot of time and money. Like, we got bills to pay, so we really appreciate your support at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. All right, it's time for Quizzage. Last week's question, 
eventually released in 2017 what is the name of the song that Bruce Springsteen wrote for Harry Potter between 1998 and 2001 and offered to Chris Columbus for use in the first Harry Potter film. Well, the correct answer was that the title of the song is I'll Stand By You Always. And wasn't that very genius? including the word always way before that word became a thing in the Harry Potter books. I think it was very intuitive. I feel as though uh, Springsteen was really, you know, he read the Harry Potter books and he really understood them to his kids. I think to his yeah. kids. Yeah. And uh, I've always wondered, did his kids listen to MuggleCast? It's not out of the realm of possibility or visited Muggle, MuggleNet, you know, I I hope they did. I'm a big Bruce fan. This is why I wonder these things for people who don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So correct answers for the quizage question were submitted by the Wild Witch of Yorkshire, mysteriously haunted but doing just fine, Laura's 11-year-old fan, Birdie Butt's uh, single flavor bean, Asbury Park Pony, bang-ended Scoot, if Potter picked a pack of pickles, how many pickles does Draco have? The Sorting Hat's new song and a lost packet of Drupal's best blowing gum eventually found in Carriage 3 of the Hogwarts Express. Also, Jack from Accounting. <laughs> Special shout out to the person who was Asbury Park Pony. That's actually a, a nice Bruce reference. Good job. Okay, well, next week's question. So since uh, Chris Columbus has been in the news uh, so darn often lately <laughs> and celebrating the 20th anniversary of the first movie, next week's question. What was the first movie directed by Chris Columbus, which co-starred a young Vincent D'Onofrio as the Norse god Thor? Submit your answer to us over on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash Quizich, or select Quizich from the main menu. Couple other reminders, make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode, and leave us a review if they allow you to. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. Our username is MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Finally, little reminder that we announced a couple weeks ago, all episodes of MuggleCast are now available in our RSS feed. That wasn't the case until a few weeks ago. So you can now access every episode in MuggleCast history in your favorite podcast app. And on that note, thanks everybody for listening. I'll stand by you always. And uh, signing off for now, the lint from the bottom of the mailbag, Eric. I'm Micah. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't know how to follow him. And I'm Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.